30 years ago, Nelson Mandela visited Chicago on his tour of America to fundraise for his South African presidential campaign. What some may not know is that anti-apartheid activism in Chicago was consistent in the decades leading up to the release of Mandela from prison and the end of apartheid in South Africa. I'm Ariel Ravenet, and in this episode, we take a look back at 1980s anti-apartheid activism through the images and stories of retired activist Joan Gehrig. Let's get looped in Chicago. As a reminder, South African apartheid lasted from 1948 to 1944. This was sanctioned segregation by an all-white government on the non-white natives of the country. This included different public spaces and living quarters for people of color, and the government cracked down on any movements against the regime. The African National Congress was a democratic party created by black South Africans who wanted a say in their country's politics. The apartheid government labeled organizations like these as rebellious and thus illegal. Mandela's leadership in the movement eventually led to his imprisonment for 27 years. In Chicago, there were many organizations fighting to raise awareness for the liberation of South Africa from the apartheid government. I'm Joan Gary. I'm a retired activist, librarian, school teacher, age 77, and I'm living now living in Iowa City, Iowa. Joan Gehrig was a Chicago resident for over 40 years. She helped organize events and documented the anti-apartheid movement through the 80s and 90s in the city. I was taking photos and sending them to uh, any place that would publish them. And because I was, I was connected to the religious organizations, I would find out what churches they went to. Let's say I knew that some of these people were Lutheran, and I would send it to their Lutheran magazine to get it published. Just any way to get the word out. For anti-apartheid activists, their goal was to use their privilege as Americans to get the government and our citizens to no longer support the apartheid government through different measures. To Joan, showing these photos of protest and demonstrations for different issues overseas meant spreading awareness of the many ways real people were being harmed by apartheid. As someone who fought for South Africa for so many years, I wanted to know, where did her passion come from? In 1977, my husband and I, Orlando, were sent to Botswana, which is a country just above South Africa, to work with young people who were coming, running, literally running from Soweto during the, uh, and after the uprising there in 1976. These young people went to Botswana. They were Black South Africans. They wanted education. They weren't getting it in Soweto. They knew that Botswana was a place where they would, would get education. Unfortunately, the schools there were not able to absorb them all. So we were assigned to work with the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees. They provided funds to set up a learning center for these young people. And so that's what we did. We cobbled together some houses and found some teachers and curriculum and gave the young people a place to congregate every day and continue their education. What the young people didn't know is that they were educating us. And when we were ready to uh, return to the U.S., they told us, you know, you have to go back 
and do something in your country because we would not have apartheid in South Africa if we weren't supported by the United States. And so we took that seriously. And when we went back, we figured out ways to do that. Through the First Church of the Brethren, they created an activist group out of the church. During this time, unions, college students, various South African and black power groups, and churches were all organizing. Through collaboration, they would develop and execute large protests plus fundraisers for their causes. So we all had our little, our little groups that we worked with and then would bring them together for, for larger events that uh, were scheduled, uh, like the Soweto Day, June 16th was a big important day in South Africa. And we made it an important day in Chicago every year, having a, a walk, a 10K walk uh, to raise money for, for a variety of organizations in South Africa. Soweto Day was a fundraiser and remembrance for what occurred in Soweto, South Africa on June 16th, 1976. The South African government issued an ordinance making Afrikaan and English the only languages allowed in public schools, prohibiting the use of local languages. Upset by the erasure of their culture and homeland, Soweto school children organized a peaceful protest that was met with police brutality by the government. This uprising would spread throughout South Africa. Many school children were shot and killed as a result. The Soweto Day Walkathon took place annually in Chicago from 1987 to 1994. And as more events took place in South Africa, more protests were organized here by activists. But one of the first things, first actions I was able to organize came at the, um, the nudging, again, of South African friends and faxes. We sent faxes in those days. And actually I got a fax saying that church leaders in South Africa were being harassed and they were setting up a stand for the truth campaign to let the world know what was happening. They sent me the standing for the truth in the 12 languages of South Africa. They have 12 languages could be used officially. So we made signs with those and uh, we had church people standing outside the consulate, holding those signs. Our plan was to hold those signs in silence for one to two hours. Well, while we were there and we were getting some press coverage, there were some high schoolers halfway down the block with signs about South Africa ending apartheid there. And they were singing away. You know, here we were trying to be silent and they were singing away. Well, we melded, I talked to them, and I realized music is an important part of this. And out of that, those young people grew the annual Sing Out Against Apartheid event at the consulate on Martin Luther King Day. Other people were looking for meaningful events, a meaningful way to connect with Dr. King. I think I have photos of that event that you are describing right now. Um, pulled up on my, on my computer, this is actually how I found you. 
a black and white photo is shown of men and women holding signs in different South African languages in front of a bus, followed by these same adults intermingled with dozens of high schoolers who are holding their own protests on the street of Chicago. Oh, and look, then, then the, they have the signs in the background then are the, are the signs from the Standing for the Truth. Teenagers in jean jackets and coats are holding handmade banners and signs that read, Apartheid equals slavery, stop the oppression, and free Mandela. Some people pose with peace signs, while others hold up a fist. These timely photos were taken by Joan over 30 years ago. If you would like to check them out, head over to our Instagram at WBBM News Radio. Tell me about the Shell discredit card. What is this about? Well, South Africa did not have its own oil. Hmm. And the photo is of a paper small enough to fit securely in a bifold wallet. The card is split in the center, half white and half mustard yellow. It shows a Shell gas station logo with the words, Stop Apartheid, Boycott Shell. Above it says, Shell does credit card. And an agreement at the bottom where one can sign a pledge not to buy gas from the company. Shell pulling out of South Africa would have been a big blow to the apartheid South African government because they don't produce their own oil supply. They were the largest investor in South Africa. So some people saw that as them helping to fund apartheid. Activists around the world boycotted the gas company. Some even going as far as to bomb their gas stations in the Netherlands. While Shell was hit with boycotts and lawsuits of their aid and oil during that time, they didn't pull out. Though they did notice and consider it. A quote from the chairman at the time, John R. Wilson reads, Shell is faced with an onslaught with no fewer than nine countries, and the number is growing. Shell's position is not comfortable. The threat of divestment is real. We even made some public events of people cutting up their credit card, their Shell credit cards. So we, there were two, Shell oil and Coca-Cola were two big uh, boycott, Shell, uh, South Africa boycott. Mm. So to this day, I don't, I don't think we go to Shell oil. It just, it gets, it just gets into you. And I'm a Pepsi person, not a Coke person. In recent years, we have seen divestment tactics used by governments to defund Russia during their invasion of Ukraine. In the 80s, it was grassroots movements that were trying to convince their governments to divest in the apartheid South African government. One of the first major anti-apartheid groups in Chicago was SIDSA, or the Coalition for Illinois Divestment of South Africa. Joan credits their organizers with creating such a large anti-apartheid presence in Chicago. Partly due to Prexy Nesbitt. Prexy grew up in Chicago, on the west side of Chicago. And he went, when he was in college, he spent a year in uh, Tanzania, I believe it was. And he, he learned a lot about what was happening in Africa. He came back. And he hasn't stopped talking about what's happening in Southern Africa since. And uh, he became, actually he worked for the government of Mozambique during the time when there was a, a, a war going on there, a war supported by South Africa to try to, to overthrow the, uh, 
the elected officials in Mozambique. He became friends with the uh, president and his wife, Michelle. Michelle was killed in a plane crash. Grasa Michelle later married Nelson Mandela. Prexi was friends with Grasa. As a result, Nelson Mandela held Prexi's son and you know, but, but Prexi never stopped organizing in Chicago. So he was, he got people together. SIDSA was an organization that would partner with other groups and college students to travel around the state of Illinois with the goal to convince businesses and local legislators. Jones Church of Activists partnered with SIDSA to bring people from South Africa to speak to legislators in Springfield about the treatment in their country. Though Illinois would never completely divest from the country, through the years, SIDSA would eventually convince the Illinois government to stop buying steel made in South Africa. In 1990, Nelson Mandela was freed after 27 years in prison. He visited Chicago three years later, where many of these anti-apartheid groups finally met him. When we come back from the break, Joan tells us her story of interacting with him in the aftermath of apartheid. On paper, it's said that the end of apartheid began in 1990 and ended in 1994. But as we know, it's not that simple. Ending over 45 years of government-sanctioned segregation and police brutality towards specific groups of people is something that takes time and is hard to put an end date on. With that said, political prisoners like Nelson Mandela were released in 1990. In 1993, Nelson Mandela visited America on a tour to raise money for his South African presidential campaign. The kind of the inspiration for this episode was that it's been 30 years since Nelson Mandela visited Chicago in 1993. Were you there? Did you get to, did any of y'all get to see him speak or anything like that when he visited? Well, I I did. I did see him. Uh, there was an event. Chicago welcomes Nelson Mandela, July 6, 1993. There was a Mandela interfaith luncheon mm. at the Palmer House. And the donation was a hundred dollars a ticket. Now we were we were living sort of paycheck to paycheck. But my husband and I we found a hundred dollars each to get into that event. So I saw him, heard him, I even sang for him that the South Africans were supposed to sing, were had been invited to sing Nkosi Sikilele, the, the new national anthem. Well, there weren't as many South Africans there as they expected. So the, one of the women who was organized, a South African, a friend I worked with, and uh, she came and she said, we need more people up there. Now she doesn't know that I'm not a singer. No. <laughs> she knew I knew the words. So I got up there and of course we all raised our fists as we sang. So I could do that. And I could mouth the words. I could mouth them right along with everybody else. 
so I didn't make this sound, make them sound bad. So I stood up there and I sang for Nelson Mandela. Wow, what a not you know not a lot of people can say that. That is, yeah. that is so interesting. And then, do you know the name Cup? Uh, the the uh, newspaper columnist. I don't know what his last name was, but he ought to call him Cups. Anyway, okay. During that event, we had we had his what is it a nine year old daughter who who wasn't interested in coming to the event, so she was at the public library, but I had to go get her and bring her because this event has gone longer than I expected. So I went down in the elevator with Cup and his wife. And he and I, he recognized me and he said, oh, you sang so beautifully for Mandela. <laughs> so not only did I sing, but I got recognized. <laughs> so that was, that's. That is so fun. I love that. You said, I will today. That is me today. And so how did it feel? You know, y'all have been doing this work for, you know, years at that point. You know, you're doing this anti-apartheid work. How did that feel to see Nelson Mandela there in the flesh, you know, released? He's free. He's raising money for his campaign. Like, yeah, tell me, tell me how y'all were feeling. What, what were the vibes? I don't know. It was, it was good to see him. I mean, to see him walking in with Daly, who never supported anything. It, you know, it, that was a, and it was sort of a wishy-washy feeling, but we knew he had to, he had what he had to do to raise the money. And so, you know, you don't, you, you got to understand the politics of it, but it, it wasn't, you know, that wasn't how we would have, how we would have liked to see him, but that's the way it is. Yeah. So that, that wasn't the, the exciting thing for us. The exciting thing was election day in Chicago. That was the exciting day. Before 1993, only white residents were able to register to vote in South Africa. But April 27th, 1994, marked the first election where all races were allowed to vote. And South Africans who were in America were legally allowed to vote abroad. We organized to be out in front of, well, people from all around the Midwest came to Chicago to vote at the consulate here in Chicago. <clears throat> so we organized to be outside to welcome them, to welcome everybody to vote. And so we had flowers that we gave to everybody who voted they got a flower, we had some bouquets. We had a suite there where people could go rest and we had some food for them. And so I know, I remember seeing a group of students come in from Iowa City. They brought students in to vote. And so they'd driven about four hours to get the vote and then they were gonna go home. So we, we tried to make it happy for them and then there were South Africans who dressed up. We have a lovely photo of, of uh, Modiehe dressed up and dancing outside the console. Do you see 
You remember, did you see this photo? Joan is referencing a photo of two black women dressed in their traditional South African clothing. They're wearing knee-length dresses. One woman has her hair wrapped in a scarf of various line designs that matches her dress. Her face is profiled to the camera, but you can still see the smile on her face and in her eyes. The other woman is facing the camera. You can see the excitement on her face and in her body as her hand is raised, knees bent in a twirl, and a big smile is spread across her face as she exits the building after voting for the first time. I can't help but smile and feel their joy when I look at the photo. And this woman behind her is also in her <coughs> in her dress. Yeah, they look beautiful. This woman's husband, this woman, Modiehe, her husband was a um, a student in Hyde Park, <coughs> but he went back to South Africa for the elections to be an election um, poll watcher. My husband was in South Africa to be an international poll watcher. So, wow. so we had both sides of, the, of this working it. Though many strides were made during these years, the road to this moment wasn't without casualties. Joan showed me a photo from a protest a year prior, in April of 1993, of a public demonstration in Chicago following the murder of South African Communist Party leader. Chris Haney, actually that's my husband and my daughter there with that photo. He was an extraordinary man. And he was the number two, after Nelson Mandela, he was the number two most, most recognized man in South Africa. People often felt that he would become the next president. He was murdered. Somebody was paid to kill him. It was very, it was very sad. I, I heard Chris Haney speak at a funeral in South Africa. It was a dreaded time when he died. And so close to the end of apartheid. Many backward steps along the way. Nelson Mandela won the election in 1994 under the African National Congress Party becoming the first black president of South Africa. As history goes, following events like segregation, reformation of the South African people followed suit. The fight to end apartheid was one of a global scale. By other countries lifting the voices of black South African leaders in their cause for liberation, it helped force the hand of the apartheid government to become democratic. The beauty of an activist like Joan to have documented this era of action in Chicago is that it allows us to remember and continue learning about what their country went through, even 30 years later. Isn't that, isn't that great? <laughs> yeah. I, I did have a request. Oh, yes. Know, maybe a, couple, a year or so ago about access. I'm trying to think who, what they want, but they wanted the vote, they wanted to, the photos for another action that some university students were taking, but it wasn't anti-apartheid, but they, they were making a connection. So I just love connections. That's the important thing. And so thank you for connecting. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Looped in Chicago. To see the photos described throughout this episode, check out our Instagram at WBBM News Radio. This episode was hosted by me, Ariel Ravenet, produced and edited by myself, Jim Hankey, and Lizzie Baumgartner. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and follow us on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Plus, follow us on social media at WBBM Podcasts. We'll get you looped in again back here next week. See you then.